in to another edition of the Daily Tap podcast. I am your host, Charlie. We are going to be talking about the biggest storylines for the Green Bay Packers and the Minnesota Vikings as week one is here. Uh, We'll talk about that. We'll also talk about the worst losses of the Brewers season. Dumb losses continue to happen to the Brewers. And it's kind of damning, honestly. Uh, Yesterday was probably the worst, but they just keep coming. Uh, The hits keep coming. And we'll uh, do a little Chuck's Corner and we'll talk about the pressure of football season. Uh, Your times change, things change, you work around a different kind of schedule. Uh, So we'll talk about that and much more uh, on today's show. Uh, Before we get going, make sure you're following along on social media, tapping the keg on Twitter, tapping the keg sports on Instagram, as well as TikTok. Uh, We're also on Facebook at that same handle. If that's something you're into, I will say Facebook is more updates, but you know, I appreciate the support no matter what. Uh, If you're new to the program, make sure that you are subscribing to this podcast. Also, if you are an established listener, there's no reason that you can't rate or review. I don't see enough guys who I know listen regularly to this show that have reviewed this podcast. And there are certain guys that I am talking to directly. And you know who you are. I, I, we need a review from you. That's that's simply put. Uh, or if you you don't want to do a review, maybe send out an Instagram, maybe send out a tweet saying like, hey, look, this is the start of football season. You need to get with it. These guys are going to bring you something a little bit different than what you will hear on local radio. I would appreciate that. Um, so please consider that. Um, maybe we'll figure out some sort of giveaway to make it happen. Uh, maybe we'll do something something like 50 reviews and we'll give a Packer shirt or something. Something along those lines. I don't know. Maybe I'll have to start thinking some giveaways to bump up the viewership, bump up the followership. But yeah, we'll think through that. Before we get going, uh, just a reminder, we'll have Tapping the Keg tonight, tomorrow. Uh, so Mitch and I will be in the booth. And then on Friday, we'll have me kind of breaking down the weekend. We will do some betting previews. We will talk about the selections that Shannon for the different songs. Um, we're probably not going to do a podcast. I know Shannon's really busy, um, but I haven't talked to him uh, recently. Got to get on that. Got to get better about that. Um, but that's just, again, we'll talk about the pressure of college, not college football, the pressure of football uh, later in the show uh, because there, it's just a lot, man. It's just added added noise. Um, getting this out late again, I'm really sorry about that. Um, just kind of, again, I think it'll all make sense at the end of the show. Um, so, Hope you forgive me. I hope this is the last one of the entire football season. All right, let's waste no more time. Let's talk about storylines between the Packers and the Vikings. Week one is typically exciting. No matter what, no matter who you're playing, week one is always going to be a thing. You're always going to look forward to week one because it is the first time that you are seeing your team in a regular season game, in a game that means something. I think that's why, as well, when the Packers got their asses kicked last year in Jacksonville by the New Orleans Saints, I think it left such a bitter taste in everybody's mouth because everybody was able to flush, shout out to Mike McCarthy, uh, flush what happened in the offseason and say, all right, all this Rodgers drama, all this bullshit is over. All this bullshit doesn't matter. And we're starting to play in the regular season. And that's what's important to us. And that we're able to finally move past all the drama. And then the Packers get beat 35 to 5, 35 to 3, excuse me. 
And it basically, it's hellfire and brimstone. Everybody raised their pitchforks. Everybody blames Aaron Rodgers. People are blaming Matt LaFleur. People are thinking the Green Bay Packers are going to have an eight-win season and all this other shit. Now, Green Bay turns around. They win 13 games. And it's pretty much a normal season for the Green Bay Packers, honestly. Uh, Not much changed for what the Green Bay Packers were able to do. So that's why week one against the Minnesota Vikings is equally important. Not only do you have the excitement, but you also have that this is a divisional opponent. You also have this is probably your biggest rival of the last decade. Now, I know there are people who hate the Bears more, but I am someone who will always hate the Vikings more than the Bears. I think it will take a lot for the Bears to take over that spot from the Minnesota Vikings. And the more that I create content, tapping the keg sports, as I mentioned, and the more I see Vikings fans' true colors. Uh, they have been yapping about Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen. They've been yapping about hoping Zedarius Smith breaks Aaron Rodgers' clavicle. Like, they are some of the saltiest and dumbest motherfuckers on the internet. And so that's what makes it even more important to beat the Vikings. So they're not holding it over your head. And the fact that the hype machine is out of control for the Minnesota Vikings is makes it even more reason to pound little brother into the dirt. You have Kyle Brandt, who's talking about Kirk Cousins as an MVP. You have Zadarius Smith telling Tyler Dunn that the reason he became a Viking was to play the Packers two years and get his revenge, which we've heard before from guys like Greg Jennings and others that have joined the Vikings in the past. So there's even more importance to week one, even though at the end of the day, I don't know if it's going to be that important. I don't know if it's going to result in, you know, something that's real, right? What what looks like it in September could look entirely different by the end of the year. I think it's kind of interesting slash cool that the Vikings and Packers aren't playing again until January. I think the Vikings are going to look like a different team. Now, granted, you're going to be outside in the cold of Lambeau Field celebrating the new year, but I do think the Vikings are going to be a much more refined football team by that time of year. I expect the Vikings to be battling for a playoff spot. I I probably will pick the Vikings to make the playoffs. Despite my hatred for them, I can be a realist and look at the NFC and see that it is not that good and just see that there is a lot of open open windows and there will be flips of playoff teams. I think the Vikings will be fighting for a playoff spot and I think they will look a lot better in January when their offense is fully put together and their defense as well. So we'll talk about the storylines here of what actually really matters for week one. We're not talking about the keys to the game, if you will. We're talking about just the storylines, the things that Kevin Burkhardt and Greg Olson, the new team, or Aaron Andrews will talk about heading into this one. So we're we're more focused on that. We're not necessarily these, I guess these are pseudo keys, but they're more those storylines. They're more the things that will get us excited for this game besides just the rivalry itself. Number one on my list to me is the Packer defense versus this Vikings new look offense. The Vikings have got a ton of love for their offense to be reinvented, that Kirk Cousins is going to get a chance to play with an offensive first coach, that Justin Jefferson could have a breakout year. He's already been incredible, but he could take it to another level. 
Dalvin Cook is is as good of a weapon for Kirk Cousins in the backfield as they're going to get. And that Kevin O'Connell is going to sort of open it up and this team is going to explode. Now, what I think some people are forgetting, at least with week one, I'm not, I don't think this is all year, but that there's a lot of familiarity with Kevin O'Connell's system with Joe Barry, the Packers defensive coordinator. Joe Barry worked with Kevin O'Connell when they both worked for the Los Angeles Rams. There's also the familiarity with Matt LaFleur, who also worked with Kevin O'Connell. There will be a brain trust that understands what Kevin O'Connell likes to do that is a little bit different than Sean McVay. And also earlier in the year, it would not surprise me if Kevin O'Connell is a little more reliant on what had worked for McVay versus what has worked for Kevin O'Connell, right? Because McVay always had the keys. Kevin O'Connell, while offensive coordinator, was the passenger, right? Like Kevin O'Connell just sat in the passenger seat and worked with Sean McVay. And now we've seen this be a disaster for coaches. And I'm not saying Kevin O'Connell will be, but Ben McAdoo is probably the most famous example that I can think of where he was in that passenger seat with Mike McCarthy. And then when given the keys, he took it right off the road and went straight into a fucking ditch. I'm not saying that's what Kevin O'Connell will do, but I will imagine that he will be very reliant on what worked for Sean. And if that's the case, if there's no sort of innovation there, that's going to play right into the hands of Joe Barry because Joe Barry knows those systems. And even if Kevin O'Connell is innovative, Joe Barry understands what the Rams system and what the Rams are trying to do. It's also a kind of a carbon copy of some of the things the Packers have done. So these guys have played against a similar style offense all training camp. Like this is who they've seen from start to basically finish, right? So I think that's worth, you know, mentioning. That's worth, you know, understanding that this is not just a, it's not just one of those things where it's like, oh, it's brand new to all of us. It's not. It's, it is entirely, entirely something that is brand new. Or, sorry. It's entirely something that is very familiar with what the Packers are trying to do. And I think that has to be considered when you're thinking about this from a who will win. Um, And that's a huge storyline heading into week one. Storyline number two, Aaron Rodgers' first game without Devontae Adams. When I say first, I use that in quotations. Aaron Rodgers is 7-0 against Devontae Adams, but he will know that Devontae Adams is not back. So how does Aaron Rodgers adapt? I actually think similarly to what we talked about, how it'll be fully refined in January. I don't know if we'll have a ton of answers about this. I think it will be really interesting to look at this four weeks from now and talk about what's changed, what's different, who's sort of the the top dog, and then kind of look at it quarter by quarter and say, all right, after four games, after eight games, after 12 games, like how does this look? And I do think Aaron Rodgers and the Packers offense will be under a lot of scrutiny. I do think that if the Packers don't score, let's just say 17 points in the first half, that people are going to freak out. People are going to be like, oh my God, like we don't have the same things that, you know, we had a year ago. And we talk all the time about overreaction Monday, which has kind of been, I would say, amplified with Pat McAfee and other people where like overreaction Monday is now like a legitimate thing. Um, you're, it's too, It's like on steroids the first week of the season. 
So I do think that the Packers offense is not where they were last year. From a scoring perspective, people are going to lose their shit. And I, I don't know if it's warranted. And I think it'll obviously depend if they win. Like, if Green Bay only scores 21 points, but they win 21 to 16, I think everybody's like, all right, well, you're going to have to rely on the defense. Like, can you really trust Aaron Rodgers in this offense to score 28 points a game? First of all, I think, again, that's an overreaction. You're going to see that at some point. But I do think that will be the consequence, right? That will be the causation of if Aaron Rodgers and the offense doesn't get going. So, yes, there will be a lot of discussion around Aaron Rodgers without Devontae Adams. I think there is a convenient forgetfulness of this is not like Devontae Adams was fully healthy during his entire time in Green Bay. Most of the time he was, but like 7-0 you know, is, is there. So I do think those are things that are, are worth discussing. Storyline number three, how does this impact the division race? So originally I was like, okay, it's week one. Like it doesn't really matter. I looked at the first six games for the Minnesota Vikings and compared it to the first six games of the Green Bay Packers. And I do think it matters because I, I think that there is a, you know, easiest schedule for both teams. So both teams can start off pretty hot. Like they have one more tough game besides this one. And then that's kind of it. Like the Vikings have this one this week. They have the Philadelphia Eagles in Philly for their home opener. And they're going to be pissed up. Minnesota has struggled there. I think that's a kind of almost a scheduled loss. And it wouldn't be surprising if Minnesota started 0-2. But equally, it would not be surprising if Minnesota's 4-2 by the end of it. You know, they play the Lions at home the next week. They go to London to play the Saints. They come home to play the Bears. And then they play the Dolphins in Miami. Now, I can go 100 ways on the Dolphins. I feel like the Dolphins are maybe the most unpredictable team. I think you kind of have to plant your flag if they're going to be good or not. And I do think the Dolphins have a chance to be good. And I actually do like the Dolphins probably more than most. I think they're going to end up in my AFC playoffs. But at the same time, I could see the Vikings winning that football game. So Vikings could easily be 4-2 after six weeks. And I could say the exact same thing about the Packers if they were to lose to Minnesota in week one. Because the Packers have Tampa Bay in week three. Tampa Bay, I actually think this is a worse time to play Tampa. I think once you get into the nitty-gritty of the season, Brady's sort of unsure about his future and everything like that, and more of kind of a weirdo, I think that actually is a better time to play Tampa. So that's unfortunate for the Green Bay Packers. But there's a real chance that, yeah, they could be 4-2 too because you have that Tampa, you have Minnesota, but in sandwiched in between, you have a Bears team that you should beat. You have a Patriots team that's looking less like competition each and every day. The New York Giants in London, Again, another winnable opponent, and the New York Jets. So there's there's kind of no reason why Green Bay can't as well be four and two. So that's kind of where you're where you're at, and and so that's why this game is very important to how the division shapes up. Now we can go through the entire schedule, but that that will waste way too much time. But it it definitely does set the tone, and it definitely can put you a leg up. And I think it should be assumed that whoever does win this game will likely be leading the division by middle of October. It'd be pretty surprising if either the Packers or the Vikings, no matter who wins, if they were not the division leader by October 23rd. Like, I feel like that that week, week seven, the Packers or Vikings should be in the lead. Now, if the Lions come through and they run ramshod and they're like, the you're the funnest story in football and 
the hard knocks, you know, hangover isn't a thing, and they're six and zero to start the year. Well, then that you know, again, you can't predict that. Or if the Bears are a lot better than people think they are, and somehow the Bears are right in the mix with the Packers and Vikings, well, there you have it, right? And they pull an upset against either the Packers or the Vikings would probably be a causation of that, right? So I look at this and I I think that if it plays out how we expect it to, this division, this one matters because it probably means who's going to be on top through the first quarter and for like quarter-ish of the season. Now, does that mean that they're going to be the division winner for the rest of the year? No, no, I, I think you can't. You can't predict the rest of the way like that. You just start here in October and then we'll see where it where it ends up in sort of I wouldn't say the dog days of the football season, but sort of the maybe the peak of the football season. I think like it's like the ramp up period is that first six weeks. Then you kind of get to that peak in the next six weeks. Then like the last two or three, there's a little bit of that dog day. And then it's like another ramp up to get ready for the playoffs some teams, it's more important than others. Some teams are on coast, coast uh, cruise control. I was like, coast control. Uh, cruise control. And then you have the playoffs, which ramp up. And then you get all the way to Super Bowl. And then it's over. And then it's like, oh, we missed football. I, I kind of hate those people. Um, I'm like, come on. Like, we have basketball. The NBA is going. We have we have college. Like, it'll be fine. Like, you'll be okay. NHL. Like, come on. You're, you're going to be okay. All right, storyline number four, uh, which we probably should keep moving on this. Uh, storyline number four is Zedaria Smith. I kind of mentioned it at the start. Like, I think Zedaria Smith is hyping himself up for this matchup. Zedaria Smith might have been healthy last season. He might not have. Um, there was a lot of issues Zedaria Smith had with not being a captain. Uh, if you remember that last year around this time, he took it pretty seriously. And then all of a sudden, Zedaria Smith went to go get back surgery after the game against the New Orleans Saints. And there was a lot of consternation. I heard some things that, you know, Zedarius might have been at a casino a day of a game, which you're not supposed to. He nearly got Kelvin Ridley himself. And that he was sort of away from the team and a little bit, not necessarily in the fold. And then as Packers got, you know, more successful and the season was going well, Aaron Rodgers, I believe, reached out at some point to get Zedarius back on the roster and get him sort of back in the mode and Zedaria started working with the team and showing up to to the facility and work and getting ready and got you know in there for the San Francisco game but was very was highly ineffective and it was you know that was it right that was the last of it and we all knew Zedaria Smith wasn't coming back the Packers kind of made that known as well um, and Zedaria knew the jig was up and I think it's really unfortunate that Zedarius went from being a fan favorite to kind of being a pariah by his own volition. Like, Zedarius Smith has nobody to blame but himself. Like, I understand that Zedarius Smith wants revenge and he wants to play for a successful football team. And maybe Zedarius will thrive with the Vikings. Maybe he will have the year that we saw from him a couple years ago where he was a goddamn pro bowler and he didn't make it. And he had the whole snub thing. But Zedarius Smith keeps living a life with a chip on his shoulder. And while it's important to have a chip on your shoulder, sometimes you let that chip sort of sink you into the ground. And that's what I think is happening with Zedarius Smith. And so I look at it and I say, Zedarius needs this game more than it, the Vikings need it. Like Zedarius could try too hard and it could really affect him. I think Bakhtiari and Elton Jenkins, assuming they both play, will have their way with Zedarius Smith. 
I think Aaron Rodgers knows that Zadaria Smith is going to be looking to rip his head off and that there will be hard counts early and often. I think you're going to see a lot of hard counts from the Green Bay Packers in the first couple series to kind of draw Z off sides, to get Z overly excited. And then Rodgers have a shot at a deep ball, whether that's with Christian Watson, whether that's with Alan Lazard or Romeo Dobbs. I think that will happen. I I, I will bet, I, if there was a bet, like if we were able to like, kind of like how Barcelona guys do like, you know, the, their props, like if I could go over under two and a half off sides for Zedaria Smith, I would take that. I would do a plus 150 and definitely take that bet because I think there is a great chance that the Packers know Zedarius wants revenge and they want to put it to him. And not only does Zedarius want to put it towards the Packers, I think the Packers want to give it back. And while they could be cool, I know Preston Smith and Z still talk. I still think that there is some animosity there. Um, and I think the Packers are going to show through on Sunday. Jair Alexander versus Jefferson and Thielen. Again, as I mentioned on TikTok, Tabitha Keck Sports, you know, you have a lot of Vikings fans saying how Jefferson's going to eat in that game. Jefferson's been two, was two for 26 against Jair Alexander. Jair Alexander should have his way with Justin Jefferson. And that's where I think this Kirk Cousins hype, it'll be really interesting to see what the overreaction is when Jair shuts him down. Jair's been very successful against Justin Jefferson. He's been very successful against Adam Thielen. Thielen's probably hurt the Packers more than Jefferson if you look at the grand scheme of things. But I do think that Jair Alexander has what it takes to shut down this Vikings secondary, or Vikings receiving core, as well as the rest of the secondary for the Green Bay Packers. Like, I don't think, obviously, it's not just Jair Alexander. He's not, you know, it's Sewell Douglas, it's Eric Stokes. Like, I think you're going to see a much better version of Eric Stokes than the one you saw against the Minnesota Vikings the last time around. Storyline number six, as kind of mentioned, the Vikings hype, man. Uh, it will be really fun uh, as the week goes on, um, as how many more people gas up the Vikings. Every day it seems like it's a little bit more, it's a little bit bigger, uh, and it's going to be great. And I think that really helps the Green Bay Packers. And if you don't think Aaron Rodgers knows this, you're lying to yourself. Aaron Rodgers has seen all of this. Uh, the Packers are seeing all of this. They know what everybody's thinking about this Minnesota Vikings team. So we'll see what happens in on Sunday. Uh, can't wait. I'm sure Mitch and I will talk a little bit Packers-Vikings as well on Tabbing the Keg today. Uh, but we will uh, we'll definitely get excited for it. And can't wait. And we'll have a podcast right after. I'll look forward to that. Um, probably up around like eight o'clock and everything. The three twenty-five games are always tough, but we'll uh, we'll make sure that you're having a podcast almost right after uh, the game is over. Moving on to the Milwaukee Brewers, it was another dumb loss for the Milwaukee Brewers last night. Milwaukee Brewers had a six-one lead. I was at a fantasy football draft with a bunch of my old high school friends, which was a lot of fun. I had a I had a great time. I, that's always a no a mark day on the calendar. Like that's always a day. That I look at and I'm like, all right, this is so exciting. Um, it's great to see all those guys. I don't see them as often as I probably would like. And everybody's busy. People have kids. People have lives. And the and they're all in the burbs. I'm not soon to be. So maybe I will see them more. And that's that's definitely a hope of mine. And it was enjoyable watching the Brewers. We had this like great setup uh, out in Pewaukee. 
and the games are on and the Brewers are kicking ass. It's 6-1. to one. Brandon Woodruff looks great. It's like, okay, we're going to win two straight games. This will be three out of four for the Milwaukee Brewers. With the Padres at that point had started to, were starting to trail the Diamondbacks 5 to nothing. So it's like, okay, we can now be one game back of the San Diego Padres. That's great. And then the bottom falls out. The Brewers bring in Luis Perdomo. It is six to one. Perdomo absolutely blows up, uh, just completely tanks. And the Brewers lose the game in extras at a Randall Gritchett home run off Taylor Rogers and a 10-7 loss for the Milwaukee Brewers. I can't be more frustrated about this one. And the more I think about it, the more it stinks. When it happened, I was like, wow, that sucks. But I wasn't that mad, I think, because again, I was riding the wave of hanging out with all my buds. But the more I think about this, the more that it sort of sits with me, add to the fact that the Padres won last night and they walked it off against the Arizona Diamondbacks after after trailing 5-0, the more upset I get, the more frustrated I get with the Milwaukee Brewers that they could not close the door here. And I have no problem with Craig Council taking out Brandon Woodruff. I think that more and more people need to pay attention to what happened during the season. Maybe because I'm a sicko, because I watch so much Brewers, like Brandon Woodruff has had moments this year where that last inning has really been a harbinger for him. Like he's really, really struggled. So for Council to pull him early, I don't think it's that big of a deal. I think that Council saw it and said, we have a five-run lead. It's a good enough cushion. I trust my relievers enough that they should be able to take care of business and close this baby out. And we have no significant issues, right? That's kind of how I felt. And that's kind of how I think Council saw it. Now, I know he didn't give that great of an explanation. I would have probably at least had Woodruff out for a batter. My guy Dan Mach said that. I agree with that. Like I would have just set, just took a temperature, gets a guy on base, put in a new pitcher, right? But he didn't want to do that. And he rolled with Luis Perdomo to start. And it, it obviously went to complete shit. And the Brewers gave up nine runs in basically two innings. Now, Coors Field is a special kind of beast. We know that no lead is safe. Brewers probably needed to add more runs. They shouldn't have been content with just six. They needed a little more there. And they didn't get it, which happens. So if we talk about dumb losses, the Brewers have had a lot of them. There have been a lot of losses where you can go through series by series and point out, at least one, if not two, dumb losses, and sometimes even three. And I think that's the problem with the season, what's kind of defining the year. I think when you get this far along in a season, it doesn't matter the sport, whether it's the Bucs, whether it's the Brewers, Packers, like you look at it and you say, all right, what defines our year? And for this, it's just dumb losses. It's just the Brewers have had opportunity after opportunity to win baseball games, and they just haven't taken advantage of them. And you realize that you're not probably going to win every either-or game, but some of them are just so goddamn dumb that you look at it and you're like, how the fuck did you not win this game? So we go all the way back to last weekend in Arizona. The Brewers left 11 guys on base on Friday night and could only score one run. If the Brewers capitalize at all, they win that game. Arizona only scored two runs that entire baseball game. Brewers win that game if they capitalize a couple big hits here and there. Like, they win that baseball game. That's a Brewers win. The Pittsburgh series, the week the week at, or the week before, they blew a 2-0 lead thanks to the bullpen. They had a 2-0 lead. Granted, you could say, all right, 
you need more offense, but you expect Matt Bush or Brad Boxberger to lock it down. Matt Bush gives up a home run, and then you have Brad Boxberger walk in a run, and the Brewers lose that game. Chicago series, you have a no-hitter through seven. There were only two hits the whole game, and Ian Happ homered in both of those two hits, leading to the Chicago Cubs winning that baseball game. So yet another loss for the Milwaukee Brewers. The Chicago series in Chicago, you had two games, Friday and Saturday, where if one thing goes right or goes differently, you win that game. So again, you leave more meat on the bone. The Cincinnati series, you can't figure out an average pitcher with Corbin Burns on the mound. And Corbin Burns makes one mistake all game. And then thankfully you tie the game in the ninth but again, you just go and lose it in the ta- the Pittsburgh series at the start of August. You had leads after the sixth inning in every game, and you lost every game. That is 10 losses that could have easily been wins. Now, baseball is a stupid sport. You can't win every game. But even if you're 8-2 and two in that stretch, even if you're 8-2, and two, you're right now probably in the wild card. You're probably closer to the division with the St. Louis Cardinals than where you are right now. There's so many missed opportunities for the Milwaukee Brewers. And this looks like a season of missed opportunities. It has nothing to do with Josh Hader getting traded. It has to do with the Brewers just seemingly to lose focus. They have been an unfocused, unserious baseball team all season. And I think there are a lot of reasons why. I don't think we have all those answers. I am waiting for somebody to write the definitive piece of what's up with this Brewers clubhouse. I think if Ken Rosenthal, Robert Murray, other people who are national writers are smart, they should smell blood in the water. This is a story that is brewing. And I expect there to be a big, maybe not expose, but a big sort of story coming out in the next couple of weeks about the Milwaukee Brewers. And that will explain a lot of what's going on. Because I feel like a team who is a playoff team does not lose all 10 of those games. Yeah, maybe they lose two or three, as mentioned. Like, maybe one of those Chicago games in Chicago or one of those Pittsburgh games in Pittsburgh. Or maybe last night happens, right? Like, Coors Field, I say what you will. Like, I, again, it's an awful loss. Like, I'm not trying to defend it. But Coors Field is a place where weird shit tends to happen because it's in the Rocky Mountain air and balls fly out of there. So you have to be good. You have to figure out what type of pitchers do I want going out there who are going to be more ground ball focused versus guys who are going to put it in the air. Eric Lauer, who has a home run problem facing the Rockies this afternoon, does not make me feel good. I will tell you that straight up. It does not make me feel like the Brewers are going to win this game. I'll be very surprised if they do. And if they're able to win three and four road trips, not terrible, uh, but it's not playoff baseball. It's not winning baseball. And the Brewers continue to prove that they can't play winning baseball on a consistent level. And I think that's very frustrating as a Brewers fan. So hopefully it gets better. Uh, hopefully the Milwaukee Brewers figure it out. But yes, uh, it's been it's been a really tough, tough basically six weeks. Uh, this This stretch has been as bad as it's gotten. I think for the Brewers, gosh, probably, I mean, the pandemic year was so bad, right? That team sucked and it wasn't good. The Yelich stuff was so surprising. I don't know if I really, I really have a moment. I guess, 
you know, 2017, right, when you didn't make the playoffs. But again, I don't know, you're kind of building at that point. Maybe it's 2014, which some people have harkened back that that year was an all-out collapse and it was this moment where the Brewers know they had to rebuild and tear it all down, which they did, and they were successful at and led to this success. And maybe that's it. I don't know if I'm calling for a complete teardown of the Brewers, but that was the consequence of 2014. I'm curious to know what the consequence will be this year. All right, moving on to Chuck's Corner. You could call this all even Chuck's Corner, like Chuck's Therapy Corner. <laughs> uh, one of the things I, I don't, I always forget. I think during the football season, there's just an immense amount of pressure. There's immense amount of competition. Everybody does good shit, right? Uh, Andy Herman does stuff all the time. Um, and he does like pocket a podcast. That's very, he's very talented. You know, Aaron Nagler has stuff every, all the time. You have the PMT boys at a national level. You have Bill Simmons, you have Ryan Rossillo, you have other national podcasts that are might not to prominence. Kevin Clark just launched his own, his own podcast feed, which I'm a huge fan of Kevin's work. You have just people who are college football specific. There's an immense amount of pressure to put out football content. And it almost makes you wonder if it's worth it, right? Like, let yesterday's listens work right. Sucks. I hate that. Hate that that was the case. But also, I got the podcast out late. I'm going to get the podcast out late again today. So people who would listen in the morning bypass me. Maybe they'll listen today and be a day behind. But I obviously have to make sure that I'm giving people what they want when they want. And that is a that is a real struggle for me. Like, I really regret, you know, we do this test show, Shannon and I, and I think it goes well. But, you know, I know Shannon's busy this week with, you know, DJing plus his own job. And, like, him and I really should have worked on this weekend being like, all right, let's do another show. So we bank it in and we're ready to go. But we don't have that availability. Like, that's just not there for me, which sucks. Hate that. That That's frustrating. But, and that is sort of that renewed pressure of like, all right, you have to be on like all the time. Like we have stuff going on all the fucking time. And that's not even like, this isn't even my full-time job, right? This is my side project, my garage band. Would I love to see it elevated? Yeah, I do. But I also realize that there is a ton of fucking competition. So how do I differentiate myself? How do I, how do I make myself differently? So I will say, like, this isn't like a a Tebow-like promise. If you remember when Tebow lost to Old Miss and he's like, you'll never find another person that doesn't work harder than I do. I will say this. I am going to try, like, absolute hell to deliver podcasts when you want them. And I'm going to try to avoid this late morning shit. I'm blessed with a job where I start a little later it gives me more freedom. But in a weird way, it leaves me unregimented and I fucking hate it. And I'm struggling with it in a lot of different ways. And one of them is the podcast. So I will continue to try to give you podcasts earlier. So it's in your feed, whether it's late night on a Wednesday or it's first thing to Thursday morning, you're waking up and you're seeing my podcast. And so you don't have to worry that Char- when is Charlie going to have the podcast? When am I going to get the notification that Charlie's podcast is up? I'm also going to try to really make sure 
to get it on Instagram so you guys know you can listen. You can just hit the button and listen there. Type in the Keg Sports if you don't follow. And also when it comes to Packer games, we're going to try to have a podcast out literally that night whenever the Packers play. So, for example, the next three weeks, right? You have 325, 720, 325. Game's over, 625. We'll do the review. I probably won't do spaces. Um, I, I just have to understand that I don't have unlimited time. I wish I did. Um, and, and spaces were cool, but I don't know how many people are doing them. Maybe it's something that we do after the fact. Maybe it's, you know, a, we're halftime of the you know, Sunday night game and we're talking then, um, or it's Monday after Monday evening, something along those lines. I don't know. We'll figure it out, but it's something that we'll get the podcast out. So you guys have it. So at eight o'clock, you know, if you're going to bed or you're, you have the game on your, the, you know, the night game on, you're doing chores. We have that podcast for you. The Sunday night game, we're taping the podcast right after we're keeping ourselves up. We're not going to be like, Oh, I'm tired. I got to go to bed. We're going to get you that podcast. 325, we'll get you that podcast. When they play the Giants, which is a noon game, probably wait till the Brewers finish if the Brewers are still in the fucking race, but we'll get you that podcast. So I think, you know, it's just a matter of working on understanding when when and where and understanding that there is so much competition and that if you don't capitalize on that, you're left in the dust. Now, part of me feels like, is it necessary to react all the time right away? Yeah, it, it can be a little bit overdone, but I, I do think that you have to make sure that you're keeping up a little bit. And so that's what we have to do. It's what we have to do. And we'll keep coming at it. We'll keep trying. So I apologize uh, for the last couple of days. Uh, it was a good reminder, good wake up call, if you will. And, uh, yeah, I think we'll see a new approach come Thursday. And you'll have a podcast with Mitch and I probably, I would say, hopefully, like 9.45, 10 o'clock tonight. So look forward to that. All right, that does it for today's show. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow, like I said, with Mitch. And then we'll have a uh, Friday preview show. And we'll get, get ourselves ready for the weekend. All right, take care, guys. Have a good one. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye.